Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, today's message. Well, I've kind of entitled my message, Why Feet Aren't Wet, which probably a poor choice of titles for today. But... um. You'll kind of see about why we get that as we go through this today. But I want to read a little vignette to you first. Uh, Somerset Maugham, I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, is an English writer. He once wrote a story about a janitor that he knew at St. Peter's Church in London. One day a young vicar, by card, depending on how you pronounce it, discovered that the janitor was illiterate. He was a janitor. And he fired him. So jobless... This man invested his meager savings in a tiny tobacco shop. He prospered, bought another, expanded, and ended up with a chain of tobacco stores worth in that day several hundred thousand dollars. One day the man's banker and he were hanging out and the banker said, you've done very well for an illiterate man, but where do you honestly think you would be if you could read and write? And the man said, well, I'd be a janitor at St. Peter's Church. He never lost his job. He never went through the storm of life to come to the place where the miracle could be executed. You hear what I'm saying? You ever wonder, I mean, is it really possible that trouble can have a purpose? I mean, we hate that though, don't we? Because then it's like, oh, here you're coming at me now, you know, um, I want to do something. You ever heard of a harmony of the Gospels? Um, now David, I'm, I'm not taking a lot of liberty, just a little. Um, but a harmony of the Gospels, you know how some of the Gospels, there's the same story, like the Christmas stories in two or three of the Gospels, right? And then sometimes you'll see them, different story, same story, different books. Well, what I did is I went through and I took one story and I went through and actually lined verse by verse and tried to put the story actually into without taking away from Scripture as if I could read it as one story without bouncing back and forth. So my context of today and our story we're going to read together, and what I'm going to do is just read it through. It'll take a couple minutes. Then we're going to go back and I just want to walk through it together. Um, is that a Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and John chapter 6? It's immediately following the feeding of the 5,000. So I just want to read this to us to kind of get our minds around What's going on in the kingdom at this point? Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowds. His disciples went down to the sea, got in a boat, and started to cross the sea to Capernaum. After he dismissed the crowds and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. You see how some of those sound like kind of the same thing? I'm trying not to take away from the Bible, so I'm, my southern Arkansan attempt. When evening came, he was there alone on the land, and the boat was out to sea. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea and coming near the boat, they were frightened. They thought it was a ghost and cried out in fear, for 
they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? Why did you doubt? Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Of course. Um, And when he got into the boat with them, the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And immediately the boat was at land, to which they were going. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land and moored to the shore at Gennesaret. Very interesting story we have here. I've always read this story, however many times I've read it, and the focus, my focus has always been on Peter walking on water. I mean, dude's a man. He's the only dude other than Jesus in the history of humanity to have walked on water. That's a pretty cool tick. That's a man card deal right there. But as we go back through and we unpack this thing, as I was meditating on it, what really got me on this was the Hillsong song, Oceans Where Feet, Where Feet May Fail. And uh, the words of that song are really powerful, and it talks about having trust without borders. And I'm, you know, I just started meditating on, Lord, I mean, we're walking this thing out, we're doing this stuff, and it's pretty crazy anyway, but do I have you in any box? Because I don't want you in any box, because you can't be the God you need to be for me if I have you in a box. And so that just kind of, that song kind of playing over and over with my kids in the house, and then that thought process just kind of led me to this story. And so the first thing I want to point out is, going back to the beginning together, Jesus has just finished feeding 5,000. Did you know that Scripture says it was 5,000 men? It was actually much more than 5,000 because it didn't count the women and children. Now, the interesting thing here for me that jumped out, and remember, I'm going to walk you through my personality, um, is that how easy is it to forget Right before they get on the boat, these guys were the ones who got the privilege of carrying the baskets that were multiplying the loaves and the fish themselves. They were the ones that got to pick up the excess and had all the stuff left over and got to actually physically be a part, tangibly with their hands, the miracle of God. And I wonder why, if you're like me, how, why is it so easy to forget how quickly I forget the amazing things God has done for me when I come up on difficult circumstances? It's almost like in my human nature, I got this dry erase board capability of just forgetting all the amazing things right away. Does that make sense? Instead of being able to hold on to, it's almost like David in the Psalms. It makes more sense because on one day he's like, you know, in the first half it's like, where are you? You've abandoned me. I'm down in death and all this other stuff. A couple minutes later, he gets perspective. Wait a minute. You're the God of my life. You're the one who brought me out of this. And you're the one who... It's this schizophrenic walk of Christianity that we have. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force, make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds. His disciples went down to the sea, got in the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And after he dismissed the crowds, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Note here, here we see an interesting scenario. First of all, Jesus sends the disciples into the boat ahead of him at evening. So translated, the disciples were going to row across the sea at night. 
This becomes more interesting as we see more events unfold. The second thing is that it seems the disciples had different opinions as to where they were headed. Although on a map, both Bethsaida and Capernaum are in the same general vicinity, they are separated by the entrance to the Jordan River, and so they are two physically different places. So you have one writer thinking they're going one place, and another writer, although he's in the same boat, thinking he's going somewhere else. That's really interesting when we come back to that later. The important thing to note here is the perspective from the disciples' point of view as to where they were going. So when evening came, he was there alone on the land, and the boat was out to sea. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The boat by this time was long, a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Okay, now we're starting to get some trouble. We're starting to see some things happen and come up in these dudes' lives. That um, Now, who sent them out? Who sent them out on the boat? Jesus sent them out. So, whose fault is this? I'm just saying. Okay? So, the Bible at this point begins to paint a very bleak picture for the disciples. This is one of the few times in Scripture, however, where you see, although they were, all the disciples were together a lot, this is one of the few stories we see them all together. So to me, it's very important to pay attention. What lesson does Jesus want to tell us if it's important of him to teach us when all the disciples are in one place? So what's the trouble? Well, first of all, it's dark. Remember, they left at the beginning of the evening. So let's say it's 8 p.m.-ish. Let's say it's summer, a little later. You know, we don't know exactly when, but it's, we know it's dark. We know they're rowing in some sort of a storm or high wind, high wave situation, beaten by the waves, wind was against them, making headway painfully. Sea became rough because of strong wind. It says in the fourth watch. So we know according to the calendar, the fourth watch is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So leaving at 8. Okay, so wait, translated, these guys are in the dark. They've been rowing for at least eight hours against waves and a headwind. And they've gone three or four miles. Okay, well, I read a bunch of commentaries on that, and most of them believe that the, about the average distance that they had to row was about seven miles. So after all this exhaustion for eight hours of rowing in this boat, in this waves or storm, whatever you want to call it, um, they're in the middle. They're halfway there. I'm sorry, i got to stop here because... Does anyone besides myself ever feel like as screwed as, up, as screwed up as I am, I am serving God with all my heart and giving all that I have to give, and it seems like I just move from storm to storm? Or the more I push and the harder I work for God, I just realize I'm right in the middle of this thing and I ain't going anywhere. Anybody, is that just me? Mm. And in that storm, it feels like he's nowhere to be found. Jesus must be stuck up on the side of a mountain somewhere because he's not here with me. At least that's the way we perceive it. See, we felt that way several times the past few years. I mean, we know he's good. We know he's faithful. We know he's provision. We know he's called us. And yet in the storm, it's hard to find him. Jesus was after something in the heart of the disciples here. And I know me. I would have probably been a little upset wondering, okay, where is the God of the 5,000 feeder person that just fed 5,000 people? I'm in this storm. I'm pretty exhausted now. My arms are tired and... You're the one who threw me out here into this thing, and where are you? You ever been jealous of somebody else's miracle? Hmm, Sorry. 
One thing I noticed while studying this story, though, is I believe this is where the actual first miracle takes place in the story. It says that he saw that they were making headway painfully. Jesus in the dark, in the storm, on the side of the mountain, viewing them at least three miles away. That's a picture to me of God being able to see us amidst the storm. And although the image that he is that he sees them, we see that no natural circumstance can he keep his eye from us. Does that make sense? That's pretty cool. He's up on the mountain. It says Jesus saw him. So you're thinking Jesus saw him. Well, no, no, no. Jesus, it's a dark. And they're three and a half miles away in, in a bad weather situation. He can't see them, but he can see them as God. That's the first miracle. We'll come back to that. The second miracle is that the story occurs here also. Jesus completely disregarded the natural circumstance and literally defied physics to catch up with them. He walked across, literally walked across the storm. It had no hold or effect. And yet I always find myself telling God that he needs to change the circumstance for me as if some way my circumstance in the natural can keep him from being the God he is. If you can tell, he kind of made this one of those loving type studies. Oh, God, that's cool. That hurt. Okay, well, that's. So he meant to pass by them, but then the disciples saw him walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened. They thought it was a ghost and cried out in fear, for they all saw him and were terrified. Amidst the storm, they mistook Jesus for evil when he was actually there to help. Funny how Jesus was there to work a miracle because they didn't expect him in the way that he came. They thought he was from a form of you. I'll tell you what, I'm in a storm. Everything is from the devil. I am casting the paint off the walls. Every person I talk to must be possessed. Every person, anybody else? I mean, it's like, it's, y'all all are messed up. Because this is my storm. And anybody ever, does anybody, has anybody ever experienced God coming to them in their circumstance and making it work in a miraculous way that they were expecting him to come in? That dawned on me the other day. I spend so much energy trying to figure out, God, how are you working this out? When I can't, he's going to defy physics in the first place to do it. I mean, if I could just put that energy into him or, you know, anyway, I'm pretty, I'll figure it out one day. So, so here's the question. Do you think Jesus knew the storm was coming? Mm. So I can still relate to this. I mean, when I'm down and having a hard time, it feels like the entire storm and everything in it is, is not of him. And in the thick of it, I rarely stop to wonder if the storm is here because God desires to work a miracle for me. You know, by the way, I, just, I adjusted my prayer life a while back. It dawned on me one day. If I'm crying out for a miracle of God, then he's going to have to position me to need a miracle. And I'm like, wait, I don't think I want to be that guy. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's perspective, right? That's food for thought. So here comes Jesus walking through the storm in the dark, and they see this figure coming near the boat, and they freak out. I know I would. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. 
I, I'm sorry, but this would be a tough moment for me because Jesus is talking to them. Okay, it's not a quiet moment. Do not be afraid, my children. I mean, the boat's been going for eight hours. It's pitch black. they got this dark figure coming at them that walks right up to the edge of the boat, standing outside the boat. Can you imagine? Don't be afraid. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I have 50 reasons I'd still be afraid. And yet my mind would still be, where have you been? Do you see the storm around me? Do you not see that I'm exhausted from rowing this thing? Have you ever feel that way? Jesus probably wasn't even wet from the waves. You know what I mean? And this is what I love about Peter. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter, all these disciples in the boat, freaking out and scared, including Peter. Peter comes to a moment, though. Somehow in his soul, in this horrifying moment in the middle of the sea, where if that thing is evil, he's probably going to die anyway. And of all of them, the hot-headed Peter, he's going to find out if it's God or not. He's going to reach out amidst the storm into an impossible circumstance. Okay, God, if it is you, call me out on the water. What kind of moron would say that? I mean, when I really put myself in the boat, I'm thinking this is a crazy set of events. Jesus said, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter was the only one to test and see if God were really in the storm. And if he were, he asked for it by way of miracle. I got storms and you got storms. Peter was the only one to test and see and ask God by way of a miracle if he were in it. Sometimes in order to get through the storm, it seems like, according to this, we might have to be willing to put our entire existence in his hands to see if he's really there to answer. Peter's disposition was, you either are God in this, or I'm going to die anyway. I think God's looking for a group of people to live according to that mentality. As a side note, if you know that God is telling you or you're calling you to something, then it may very well be the step into the water that's over your head where you cannot survive without his help. That's what causes the dream to actually take place. So here we see the third miracle in this story. I mean, can you imagine? Now it is Peter. So can you imagine what was going through his mind when he was a few steps into this? He gets out and he knows all that. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's walking on water. You can't imagine. And he feels comfortable. And then all of a sudden, he looks at the circumstance again. And he begins to sink. Picture of the humanity that we have. It's a fight to keep our eyes on Jesus amidst the storm. And yet, even when he still cries out, God saves him. Last fall, we had a ton of trials. Um... 
$2,200 a month in support went away without us knowing about it. The Jeep blew up. Our son, who had two major um, surgeries, had an intestinal infection that landed him at UNC three different times. We had two miscarriages back to back. Um, we lost my wife's father to cancer unexpectedly. It was really for us to where are you? I thought you called me to this. You've shown me favor to this moment, and now my world is falling apart. But I had no, I had no boat to crawl back into. There's no job at Mana. There's no, you know what I mean? There's nothing. Um, we stayed in it. And we just kept crying out to God to try to find him in the moment and cry for his miracle. Um, but he'll meet you in that place. We were, did I say the Jeep blew up? I did, didn't I? Well, then we were given a car. February, we had an unexpected blessing that offset what we had missed. And then in March of this last month, we actually had more income because of unexpected stuff happening than I've ever had in my entire life. So something about weathering the storm, because sometimes he wants to get your heart right to get you to that place to get you ready. And I don't ever know if we're out of the storm or not, but I know this, he's definitely, I feel like such a moron, don't you, when he finally shows up and then you're like, oh, the goodness of God, goodness of God brings you to repentance, goodness of God brings me to I know I'm an idiot. I should have trusted you the first time again for the 14,000th time. See, there's a lot of dead dreams in the church and a lot of stillbirths in Christianity because people refuse to step outside the boat to where only God can make their dreams happen. Putting faith in God isn't, yes, Lord, from the comfort of the boat. That's basically saying, I'm going to trust you from here in the environment I can control because if it doesn't work, I'm still floating. That's not the faith that makes dreams come true and that lets God be God. That's the faith that says, I'll trust you from where I don't think I can fall or get hurt. And see, the reason Jesus was able to take 12 men and change the face of the planet is because they got it. They lived according to only he can sustain me. I'm not advocating irresponsibility. Don't go quit your job and don't, don't blame me for all that. We're not going to do that. <laughs> but if you have a dream in your heart and you know God told you to do something and you haven't moved towards it, you got to get out of the boat. There are businesses in this room. There are marriages waiting to be healed in this room. There are People at your workplace you know God's told you to talk to or kids in your classroom he's told you to minister to. All of those places, all of those people and all of those kingdom businesses and all those opportunities are one step outside your boat. And it won't make sense. And it won't feel good. And it won't be right. But that's where you'll find him. And they were glad to take him back to the boat. And when he got into the boat with them, the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened, jealous of someone else's miracle. Of course, once you recognize that God's in the midst of the circumstance, you're glad to let him in the boat. Oh, you're here. Oh, come on in. Welcome. Thanks for showing up. Fourth miracle of the story. When Jesus stepped in the boat, it immediately stopped. 
Now, I don't necessarily think the storms of life may stop, but they sure do get a lot easier, don't they, when the Savior's in the boat? How long will we fight our storm instead of letting our, creative in, our Creator in it? How long will we hold on to control instead of putting faith into that which we can't control and trust Him for the miracle to occur? And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. I always do that. Once God shows up, I'm glad to worship him. I get all convicted and wonder, why didn't I do this before? And immediately the boat was at hand to which, watch this, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Fifth miracle of the story. I never saw this before. So Jesus gets in the boat, storm stops. How far were they? Halfway, right? And then Jesus gets, and while they're worshiping God, they end on dock. That's a heavenly speedboat experience, buddy. I'd like to be on it. <laughs> Bam! I mean, was that like a hovercraft? Was that like the wind blowing in their long hair? You know, what? that had to have been cool. I'm just saying. You got to wonder, right? I mean... Once, once God was worshipped over the circumstance and over the storm, the scenario was brought to a close and the storm ended. The work was over, the rowing was done, and the waves were gone. And when they crossed over, they came to the land and moored at the shore of Gennesaret. I don't know theologically if I can back this, but God really touched my heart in this. And I know you're, I keep looking at him because I know like the, he's got that Bible, human Bible right there. The disciples thought they were going to different places. So one disciple, so I looked up the names. The first name, Bethsaida, could mean place of fish or place of snares. Capernaum could mean place of repentance or place of comfort. Genesaret means garden of the prince. I felt like the Lord told me, Delane, sometimes you're headed in a place, buddy, that it's not good for you. It will snare you and stop you. Other times, you just get a little too comfortable in your Jesus bubble and in your Christianity. And I got to take control, let a little storm action come in to bring you to my place for you. That really touched my heart. And... um. Oh, if we just let him be in control. That's so hard, isn't it? I mean, that's the reality of it is it's hard because the natural circumstance is the person I see that is difficult and, or whatever. So a few principles. I just want to walk away from this disciple's experience together. First of all, I just want to repeat some of these because I'm, I'm having to meditate on these. For some of the places we are. God is not governed by my circumstance. And he never will be. Going to Saudi Arabia to sit with the niece of the crown prince, knowing they are fully funding a large portion of the human trafficking efforts we're combating through one of our other, other organizations. Knowing that of all the people that need Jesus, they're the ones that hate the Jews the most. And God's given me a doorway to be there. I have to depend on his circumstance. Number two, God's chosen method of deliverance more than likely will be outside human logic. I should put 100% of the time on there. So I'm going to try to commit in my heart to focus on making sure 
that I stop looking and I start obeying. I'm telling you. And, and guys, this message has been in my heart for you for about a month and a half. And um, there's somebody in this room, or there's more in this room, there's something God wants to birth out of here that um, it's for somebody. But you need to get out of the boat. I may have to take a step into the deepest waters to see my miracle come to pass. I don't know. Let's go plant a community garden right next to a crack house. Hey. Man, when I heard that, I was, I mean, that's, that's right up, that's what we do. Y'all right up in this thing. Cover for action. I mean, you're right there shooting flare, I mean, darts. Kingdom darts at them, praying for them, loving on them. See, they can't take seeds away like that. See, the other drug lords can shoot back at them, but when you're nice to them, that seed, they cannot ever remove that from their memory banks. I love that, man. I want to come up and plant some carrots just to, just to be a part of that. People who love Jesus from the boat never get face-to-face with the miracle. All the disciples still made it to shore. They all got to experience God. Peter. God used Peter because Peter was willing to step out of the boat. What do you mean? Well, not long after that. And less than a month after he denied Christ, by the way. Peter was the one God used to give the message on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. See, the other people didn't have that, that thing in them. They say, you don't understand who this man is. It's like telling me that God can't, I mean, my, my wife could never have children. And now we have eight. We can't stop. And so it's like, <laughs> but listen to me. You can't tell me. There is nothing you can say to me. There is no academic argument in the world that can convince me that that, that was not God and that God does not heal people. See, when you step out of the boat and he meets you in that place, you have something that the enemy, he doesn't even understand it. Because it's this thing that rises up in you that says, look, you don't understand who this God is. This is what he did for me. That's why we have to get out of the boat. That's why Peter, the hot-headed Peter, the one who made all the mistakes, he was passionate. No wonder he was passionate. He was the one that God reached up when he reached out of the boat and pulled him up out of the water. I wonder how the other disciples felt when Jesus rebuked Peter for lack of faith when they never even got out of the boat. There's not a demon under every rock. Just saying. Sometimes we need to turn to him. And don't give the devil so much credit. Don't focus so much on the waves that you miss the little miracles along the way. I never knew there were five miracles in that story. Probably more, but when Jesus is let in, the storm weakens. And the destination that God has for us requires miraculous travels. I'm going to close with this. I'm at a minute 15. I'm right on. He told me if I finished early, y'all would like me better. <laughs> That's a true statement. But I'm hoping, though, that we're still connected, that I'm taking up the full time here. 
At the age of seven, he had to go to work to help support his family. At nine, his mother died. At 22, he lost his job as a clerk. At 23, he went into debt to try to start a business. At 26, his partner died, leaving him hugely in debt. At 35, he was defeated twice trying to run for a seat in Congress. At 37, he won the election. At 39, he lost the re-election. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 42, he was rejected for a land officer role. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he ran for another political office and lost. At 49, he ran for Senate again and lost. At 51, he was elected President of the United States. And Abraham's legacy will continue to go on. The man would weather the storm to fulfill what God called him to do. So I'm going to agitate your soul. I'm going to pray for you right now. Two, one. Look at that. Now, I didn't even, actually, I got to be honest, I skipped a bunch of stuff so I'd make the time, but I want to pray for you, all right? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your word. We thank you for how much you love us, Lord, that even beside ourselves, when we're working and striving on our own, you show up right in the middle of the storm to help us out. And Lord, when, even when we step out in faith and we're trying and we, we lose sight of you, you still reach down and you pull us up. And Lord, there are, there are dreams in this room that have yet to be realized. And there are marriages in this room that need to be rescued. And there are jobs in this room and creative minds and future businesses. And Lord, everything, there are, there are things in this room that require stepping out of the boat. And so, Lord, I pray two things today. One, that when they step, you would meet them in such a powerful way that you would drive a stake in their soul to know that they know that this is the God of heaven that meets them in this place. And number two, I ask you, Lord, for everybody here in our own storm, help us get out of the boat. Help us make that decision to finally go for it. Help us find the way to see you face to face when others look on and go, I wish I could have done that for him. We love you and thank you. And Lord, for those people in here who are like, you know, I'm just in a storm. My life is a storm because I don't even know who Jesus is. I pray you reveal yourself to them like never before in Jesus' name.